chapter 4, I took off in a direction that um, um, had us discussing uh, legalism versus uh, uh, antinomianism. And I've tried to point to uh, the both ends of the spectrum. And since so many of you were not with us last week, let me give you a, a running start before we get into new material tonight. I have said, well, we spent four weeks um, uh, exposing legalism, Phariseeism, and uh, telling you that that wasn't where we wanted to, uh, how we wanted to live out our life with Christ. And then uh, I spent three weeks just, uh, discussing antinomianism, which is another um, wrong fleshing out of uh, a Christian life. And so then, so last week I started trying to give you what was the, the right way. That is, what does it mean to live out a life of grace? But the temptation is to say, okay, we don't want to be a legalist and we don't want to be an antinomian. So what we need to do is kind of um, merge those two, kind of, you know, uh, take a little bit of down there and a little bit of this down here and put them together and that will be the balanced position. And I was suggesting last week that that's, that's Hegelian, very frankly. It's a thesis with an antithesis uh, arriving at a new synthesis. That, 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 ladies and gentlemen, is not the way we operate in the Christian church. That's Hegelian thought. Uh, you don't just take a little bit of that, a little bit of that, and put it together and you got the, got the right thing. No, there is a third option, a completely new, brand new third option. Not antinomianism, not legalism, but a third option that has nothing to do with either of those. And uh, I said that that third option last week, I called it grace. Um, the way that we live out the life of uh, a Christian is by grace. We live out, we become grace-driven Christians. Now, but what in the heck does that mean? Unpack that for us a bit, Jimmy. And so what I did then is say, all right, uh, what I'm calling you to is to live, uh, live out a life of grace. And here is a, a few words, uh, seven or eight words, that I think summarizes what I'm trying to say. If you want a, um, if you want a code, if you want an ethic about how it is that we're supposed to live as Christians, here it is. Emulating Christ in the power of the Spirit. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to uh, please my church. I'm not trying to please my pastor. I'm not trying to please the group that I'm a part of. What I'm trying to do is emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. I, I shared a couple of stories from my own family last week about how our children have, uh, you know, there's certain pressures on them because they're preacher's kids. You know, and so they would leave and head down to places where I would just cringe that they were heading down to, like Beale Street. And, um, and I would say to them, you know, uh, the, the, the thing that should guide you, the thing that should concern you, is not that you be good because daddy's a preacher. The thing that should guide you is a desire to emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. Now, so that's, that's the catchphrase. That's the thing that guides me. And I told you last week that if there's only two original thoughts I've ever had in my life. That was one of them. Emulating Christ in the power of the Spirit. Okay, that's fine, Jimmy. But unpack that for me some. And uh, what does it then mean to emulate Christ? And so I took you to a text in Colossians chapter 1 and suggested that here is a, a good summary of what I mean when I say 
emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. All right? It's Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and actually 9, 10, and 11. Let me read you those to you once again. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all his might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Now, gang, I'm saying that the thing that should guide us, the thing that should stick in our minds about living a life of grace is this. Let's emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. Let's all go do that. Forget about trying to please your group. Forget about code living. Forget about the list. Forget about it. And let's all freely, independently, individually go emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. And if we do, we're all going to be fine. We'll be just fine if that's our code. That we simply want to be like Him, and we know that to do so, we must do so in the power of the Spirit. Okay? Alright, if I wanted to be like Him, what would that look like? If I am going to emulate Him, how am I going to do that? I'm saying that this text gives you a bit of insight to that question. This is what Paul prays for the Colossian church. The great pastor, the great apostle Paul, steps back and takes a look at the congregation at Colossae and says, What do I want for them? What is it that would... What should I pray for these people that I love? This is a prayer, ladies and gentlemen, that I just read you. What you're hearing is a part of the prayer life of Paul when he says... For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Okay, Paul, what do you pray for these people? Now, gang, what I'm saying is that if you wanted to summarize this little prayer, I would call it, in my own language, his prayer is that we would all emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. But notice the details of what he says. He says, and to ask, this is, this is what I'm asking God for you, that you be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The first thing that he addresses, ladies and gentlemen, is that you're going to have to think right. And so last week I wrote up here that emulating Christ meant, number one, the right mind. Uh, and I took the group to several texts, but the, the primary one was the, the text in Philippians 2 that says, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And I pointed out then that that was not an invitation, it was not an option, it was a command. That the verb was in the imperative, and it said, this is the mind that I want you to have, the mind of Christ in you. And that's what Paul's praying here. That you be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He is saying that before any behavior, I want you to have a right mind. In fact, I drew up a little... Um, iceberg and uh, here's the water line and I, and I suggested that this is behavior but underneath behavior is a belief system that, that uh, behaviors always flow out of a belief system and so the first thing that I'm going to have to do if I'm ever going to emulate Christ is have a right mind I'm going to have to have my mind trained by the scriptures and what I was pleading for last week 
is saying that if I'm going to have, if I'm going to be able to emulate Christ, first of all, I'm going to have to know certain things that he does, that he loves, that he hates, that he teaches. All of that I'm going to have to grasp. How am I going to get it? I'm going to get it by um, having the Spirit of God teach me this book. I told the group last week this, that the number one verse quoted by the unchurched world today is, God helps those who help themselves. You should be laughing at this point, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that is not a scripture verse and to be found no place in the Bible. My point is, why, do you, why, why does it surprise you when they act like they do? Why does it surprise you when we act like we do? If we think other than the mind of Christ. And I pled with you. I said, or I pled with them. I said, if you think that my 30-minute little ditty on Sunday morning is going to form the mind of Christ in you, oh my, you're sadly mistaken. The, um, the thing that we must engage in, ladies and gentlemen, is um, hours spent in this book, this mind of Christ being formed in us uh, by the spirit of, Spirit's illumination of the book that he wrote. Now, that's basically what I said last week. Now, but I want to sh show you one other text uh, that will allow us to transition into point two. And, I, and so I'd like for you to turn with me um, to Philippians chapter three, because a part of the mind of Christ is that you and I, well, actually, let me read it to you. A part of the mind of Christ is mentioned here in Philippians 2, verse, excuse me, Philippians 3. Let me begin reading to you in verse 12. Philippians 3, verse 12. Now, this is another... By the way, guys, there's lots of parts to the mind of Christ. This is just one of the parts. I, and I can't go over all the parts. I'm just saying that the Bible says, Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. How am I going to get it? I'm going to get it by studying what he has to say, what he, whatever others uh, serving him have to say. I'm going to have this book formed in me, and thus the mind of Christ. But a part of the mind of Christ is summarized here in Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that, Paul says, not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Gang, one portion, one tiny portion, maybe, maybe not so tiny, but one portion of the mind of Christ is that we all conclude, okay, <laughs> I've been a Christian a few years, yes, 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 that's true, but not that I have already obtained, oh no, but this one thing I do, I press, I press, um, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. That's a part of the mind of Christ where we understand that we have not been perfected. None of you, none of us have got it all down pat. You know, ladies and gentlemen, um, one of the scandals of the Christian church is that when people say, I've been in the church all my life, there's not much more you can teach me. Oh, my. 
um, those who have the mind of Christ to understand, I've, I've got to forget what lies behind and I've got to press. I've got to press towards the goal of the prize of the upward calling. You see, the part of the mind of, the, uh, uh, of Christ is, I'm not just settled or happy with the elimination of some sin. I won't be happy until I've eliminated all of it. And, of course, that will not ever happen this side of heaven, but that's my goal. That's what I'm pressing towards. I'm pressing towards this thing uh, that I'm going to become more and more um, of conformed to the image of Christ. But that, I left out one verse. I'll say this to last, because this, this is the verse that transitions. All right, let's assume that the mind of Christ is being formed in us. And by the way, <laughs> you'll need to keep your finger in Colossians too, because Colossians mentions this second. After this verse 9, where he says... Um, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, that's the Apostle Paul saying, here's what I want for my people. Here's what I want for the Colossian church, that they be filled with all wisdom. I want them to be filled with the knowledge of his will and wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's what I want for our people. Now, keep your finger there and go back over here to this Philippians passage. Because Paul has just said, I'm going to press toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, says Paul in verse 15, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we already have attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Now, here's my point. If you'll notice in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, right after Paul says, I want them to have the mind of Christ or be filled with all the spiritual wisdom, then he says, for what reason, Paul? Why is it so advantageous to have the mind of Christ? If I could insert just one small word just to make it clearer, verse 10, so that, for the purpose of, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. Now, that's what Paul says. I'm praying that they'd have a mind uh, that is uh, so drenched and soaked and saturated with the truth of God so that they will walk worthy. That's what Paul says in, to the Philippians. Okay, now that we're pressing forward uh, and moving on to this upward call, uh, to the... You have, let us walk by the same rule. My point is, the second thing that would... Um, I don't know where that blue thing went. Um, the second part of emulating Christ in the power of the Spirit is the right walk. I'm trying to emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. How am I going to do that? Well, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to soak my mind in the truth of God and um, knowing that, the outcome of that soaking is supposed to be a certain kind of walk, a certain kind of behavior, a certain kind of lifestyle. Gang, um, if you're in the book of Philippians, stay there with me just for a second and, and um, um, read down with me at 17 and 18. I'm in Philippians 3. Brethren... Join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. 
for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ to end this destruction and then he goes on and on and on but, but the point is guys Paul's expectation of his people as it is as, as they live out this life of grace that they are going to be they're going to have minds saturated with the mind of Christ and then they're going to walk like that they're going to have behaviors. They're going to have lifestyles that are in tune with the truth that they have discovered in the mind in, in the in the book of God. Guys, we don't have a lot of time. I could I could read text after text after text. In fact, I've got them all listed here. Um, I'm I'm only going to choose one, which I think will take up our last our ten minutes. So go with me now to another Pauline epistle, um, Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians 4. Because I love this image that, that Paul uses here. And um, this is a very large section of Scripture that begins about uh, verse 17. In fact, in my Bible, I don't know about your Bible, but in my Bible, verse 17 has this little uh, title to it, The New Man. Well, it goes all the way through, really, uh, chapter 5, verse 7. It's a whole section, but let me just read you what, what Paul, how Paul describes things about the Christian. Beginning in verse 20, I think. Verse, let's, uh, verse 22. Let's, let's start in verse 20. Ephesians 4.20. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now that's the image, ladies and gentlemen. Paul is saying to the people of God, here's what we're doing, guys. We are putting off an old man, and we are putting on a new one. That's an image that you find, um, he mentions it in the book of Colossians in chapter 3. This was a theme of Paul's that the expectation on the people of God is that they cease to be living like old men according to their former customs and they live like new men. They live like brand new people because they're putting off and putting on. Now guys, one of the things that I want to draw your attention to is, is simply this. Notice that that action is not something attributable to God. He is saying, y'all listen out there, says that, he says to the Ephesian church, I want you, now he understands that all of this is going to be accomplished in the power of the Spirit, yes. But there is a, a, a responsibility incumbent upon the people of God that they put off and put on. And here's what happens. Suppose, here I come and I've been... Um, I've been reading this truth, trying to get the right mind. You know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. And so the first thing I did was study what God had to say in his, in his, in his book here. And you know, um, there's a passage over here that I read. It's, uh, it's right there in one of those Thessalonian books. I don't remember which one, but it says, Flee youthful lusts. And I started thinking, well, now that's something that, uh, that uh, is important to God. 
And so therefore, if I'm going to ever do something like that, I'm going to have to stop certain things and I'm going to have to start certain things. I'm going to have to put off and I'm going to have to put on. Guys, if I'm ever going to emulate Christ, it is going to require, it's going to require stopping some things. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you simply added a Bible study to your schedule and that now you go to church fairly regularly. Because having become a Christian, I'm brand new. And here I am, this tabula rasa. Have you ever heard of a tabula? I'm a blank slate. And I come to this book and it starts writing on the tabula rasa. Starts writing things on there. And now that I've got this right mind, it begins to... It begins to infect and change my behavior, my schedule, my way, the way I treat my wife, the way that I recreate, the books that I read, how I spend my money, how I, how I am as an employer, as an employee, because now I'm putting off an old man and I'm taking on a new one. Guys, that's the life of grace. Now, I want to make one other point and I'll quit for the night. I want you to notice something at, under that, beginning in verse 25. I told you this was a long section, and it is, and I had really planned to read it, but we don't have that. Therefore, by the way, he says, okay, put off the old man, put on the new. Now, if you got that principle, therefore, putting away lying, let each of you, one of you, speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one of them. Be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down in your wrath. Nor give place to the, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let, let him labor. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, etc., etc. Here's my point. A life that is lived by grace has rules to it. <laughs> See, y'all came in here eight weeks ago, and I started damning the Pharisees and the legalists. And I, I, let me tell you, I'll still damn them, and I will, I will spend my life fighting for you and your Christian liberty so that nobody has the right to compel you to live like they think you ought to live. I'll, I'll, I'll give my blood for you on that one. And so I damn the legalist and damn the legalist and damn the legalist and you, and you begin to think, oh, well, then there, you know, I must be free to live any way I want to. No, no. That's the life of the antinomian. So when we come back and find out what a real true expression of grace is in a Christian's life, Guess what? It has rules to it. It has rules. Now, the rules are from the Scriptures. They're not from Jimmy. You know what? Uh, you know, I heard a man... Where did I hear this? I better be careful. Oh, yes. I, I heard it yesterday about... Oh, gosh, I'm not sure i got time to tell this one. But um, this man was at a party. Downtown at a party. And he was at the second floor, uh, uh, second, third floor on a party, and he was drinking a Coke. A Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Okay. He was standing next to a window. And a friend of his walked up to him and said, Do you think if our preacher drove by, he would know that was Coca-Cola? And the guy put the Coca-Cola down. 
I'd like to say to the preacher, Yo-ho! Look what I'm drinking! I got a Coca Cola in my hand, and it doesn't make me one whit what you think about it. Do you understand what bondage that is? If the preacher drove by and see you with that in your hand, do you think he'd know it was a Coca Cola? That is bondage, ladies and gentlemen. Bondage. But never will you hear me say that there aren't rules. Oh, yes, there are rules. Here's a few of them right here. You're, not, you're supposed to tell the truth. You're supposed to uh, let no um, uh, corrupt word proceed from your mouth. You're not supposed to steal. Sounds a whole lot like the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you. The mind of Christ includes rules just like the ones you find in Exodus 20. Those are to be obeyed. Now, let me point out one other thing and I'll quit. You know what the Ten Commandments are. You know where they're found in Exodus chapter 20. But you know what? There's one in here. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. That's not in the Ten Commandments. Can't find that one in the Ten Commandments. But there's one of those rules. Those rules that describe the mind of Christ. Here's my point. The rules in the life of grace don't fall short of the law. They go further. They exceed the law. Do you think that the demands on the people of God would be less in grace than they would be under law? I say to ye nay. <laughs> Those of us who have been so glorious, gloriously redeemed by grace. Oh, those demands are more. Because what we're seeking to reflect is the person and character of Jesus Christ. There is a worthy walk, ladies and gentlemen. A right mind leading to a worthy walk. That's emulating Christ in the power of the Spirit. Now, next week we're going to wrap this all up because I know, you need to know none of it will be done outside and apart from the empowerment of the indwelling Holy Spirit. But characterizing a life of grace means that I think like Christ and I live like Christ. So, Let's go emulate Christ. We'll be fine. We'll do that in the power of the Spirit. Let's quit. Our Father, form the mind of Christ in us by your word so that we can be people who live according to the, um, the real law, the one that that allows us to reflect the character of Christ. Dismiss us with a sense of your blessing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night.